and grab your seat and grab a Bible. If you've got one with you, if you don't have one with you, there should be one in a pew somewhere around you that says the story on it. Um, and you can turn in that Bible to page 148 and your Bible to Joshua chapter 8 as we jump back now after Easter back into the book of Joshua and slowly walking through that story together. And uh, it, it kind of ties in to our message from last week as well as obviously picks up where we left off in Joshua. Um, last week we talked about the idea of, of comeback stories, redemption stories, and and how the resurrection is this, this kind of story that's right in the middle of things, and, and it really is this phenomenal story where Jesus is the hero. We pointed to the idea that in this whole book, and we kind of took a real, real quick survey of the whole Bible, kind of the whole story to look at it together that's really summarized in that Bible that is in your pew called the story. That's why we use those Bibles uh, in the pews. Uh, they are regular Bibles. They just have in the beginning of them a summary of things. We even have some pamphlets down here with that same summary if you want those. And I said it last week, and I wanted to leave them again this week, that if you want to know more about that, you can grab one of those pamphlets. On one side, I've got just the pamphlet. On the other side, I've got it with my card in it, with my phone number. So feel free to call me or email me or text me, and, and we can set up a time if you want to talk more about this whole story. Um, but really, the reason I think, we, one of the reasons we love comeback stories it's this idea of what do you do after you've messed up. I don't know about you, but growing up, I was not a model child. Uh, my mother jokes that I was her fourth child, and if she would have had me first, I probably would have been an only child. <laughs> I was the only boy, three older sisters, and, and I got blamed for everything that went wrong in the house. Anything that happened, anything broken, anything that went bad, I got blamed, which was fair because 99% of the time, that was a, probably a safe assumption to make that it was my fault. But I hated getting busted. I still to this day, I hate getting, getting caught, you know, busted. And when we were in Joshua before in Joshua chapter 6 and then in 7, God's reaction, and we see all these things and the last few chapters, it's this idea of... The, the heaviness of sin. And, and, and this is a reality that we have to talk about. It's one of the reasons we value expository preaching here, uh, or expositional preaching, or text-by-text -text preaching, whatever you want to call it, where we take a book, like the book of Joshua, and we're just going to work our way through it because it forces me as the pastor to preach about things I probably wouldn't pick if I were just randomly picking subjects to preach on. And, and this section is real heavy on the gravity of sin. See, what had happened earlier is this guy named Achan. They're in the Battle of Jericho, which wasn't really much of a battle. All the victory was God's, like all these battles. But there was really not even any military strategy here. The whole strategy was to point to God's greatness. And, but God had told them, hey, don't take anything out of this city. Now, he didn't say... Every city that I have you conquer, you can't take anything. He just said, don't take anything out of this city. And we talked about how it was a first fruit situation. And, but Achan, Achan wanted it. He saw it. He desired it. He took it. He hid it. It's kind of our cycle of sin, isn't it? And next thing you know, there's, there's ramifications and consequences that go pretty wide from there. What do you do when you mess up? 
When we first become followers of Christ, there's, if you, if, especially if you became a follower of Christ as an adult, there's like an excitement, right? There's this like, there's this passion that comes as a, as a new believer. New believers are better at sharing the gospel than anybody, right? New believers are better at inviting lost friends to church than anybody. New believers get so excited, but over time, it just kind of gets squelched out of them, and it kind of becomes this routine thing. And what will happen, or, or maybe, maybe the beginning of this year, you made a New Year's resolution, and you said, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. I'm going to do it this time. But probably not too long ago, you got somewhere into Leviticus, and you just thought, man, I can't do this. And you miss a few days, and then you start to calculate what it would take to catch up, and, and it just becomes this daunting thing, and you decide, nah, man, I, I can't catch up. There's no way I could go back and catch all that. And you get, you get frustrated, and you just don't do it. Well, this is a passage about what do you do when you mess up. So if you would stand with me as we read God's Word, Joshua chapter 8, 1 through 29 this morning. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with them went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai, with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. 
But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men of the ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was, not, there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness, where they pursued them and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a forever heap, forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, as we look at this passage today, I need you to speak. I need you to tell us your story. I need you to glorify yourself. Lord, use this broken vessel to bring us to the truth of your word. Even when uncomfortable, especially when uncomfortable, let the truth impact us. Lord, may we be transformed by the renewal of our minds as we rest and find our home in your word, in you, in your love this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. If we look at the first two verses, we see a theme here. Uh, We see a turnaround. We see Joshua learning from some mistakes here. I, I title it, Seek First the Kingdom of God, quoting Matthew 6.33, which is a uh, really impactful verse for me in my life. Matthew 6.33. It's, it's something the Lord used early in uh, my ministry and early in, in mine and Audrey's marriage to just convince me I, I'm not supposed to worry about provisional things a lot. I, I really just need to focus on for my life, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And so when I read these first two verses, a lot of things came to my mind. Uh, but this is part of what did. If you look at verse 1, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. That kind of takes us back to Joshua chapter 1, the whole beginning of this whole thing, that, that word that God gave Joshua. He told him, Moses is dead. You got a job to do. Do not fear, but be strong and courageous and know that I'm always going to be with you. Know that it's going to be me that wins the battles, not you, that I will give this into your hands because I've chosen you to be my instrument in this process. And so God's reminding Joshua what this whole thing is about. See, after Achan's sin, they go and they arrogantly just pursue AI on their own strategy. They run the numbers. They send scouts and they run the numbers and they figure out what makes sense in their minds what the next step to do is. In Proverbs chapter 14, and then it's so important, it's in Proverbs chapter 16, again, in the same exact wording, it says there's a way that seems right to man. Right? We talked about this. But its end is what? Death. There's a way that seems right. Right? So what Joshua and his people calculated and did seemed right. They ran the numbers. They did the scout report. They ran reconnaissance. They said there's no need to send everybody. Let's just send about 3,000 guys up there, and they'll be able to take care of this little bitty place. See, geographically, AI was a strategic placement. Jericho, we talked about, was kind of at the bottom of, of this kind of walking area where you could get up the mountain. And so when you came in, you had no choice but to get through Jericho. It was a fortress for that very purpose. It was designed right there just so when you crossed there, you'd have a hard time getting up. But then if you got past that, the next line of defense before you could really have free reign to walk whatever direction you wanted was AI. And then Bethel was another one real close to it. And so they arrogantly just send three men, 3,000 men and 36 die. Joshua's freaked out because he's like, God, you told me that we would have no harm, that you would win. And he's like, well, sit down. Or actually, he says, get up because he was on his face. He says, get up, man. There's sin in the camp. You got to deal with it. And so they do, and it's a tragic story. Achan and his whole family lose their lives, as well as the 36 men who lost their lives at battle. But now it's time to keep going. What do you do when you mess up? Adam and Eve, when they messed up, ran and hid sewed fig leaves and tried to make some clothes. So God comes out. It's not like God doesn't know where they are. But God loves to bring us in on the process. And so he says, hey, where are you guys? Like your kids probably used to play hide and seek with you in the living room and they would just cover their eyes, right? And they'd say, can you find me? The same kind of way God says, where are you? In our sin, we so foolishly, so childishly run and hide. But see, I appreciate what happens here. Joshua says, no, this is on us. And he does what God tells him. And so this time, this time he, he hears a word from the Lord first. And the Lord confirms, all right, it's time to go. Don't fear. I've given them into your hands. See, this is what sin is. Sin is doing things our way instead of God's way. 
Simple as that. I think we like to aggrandize sin and we make sin, uh, you know, cussing or murder or adultery or getting drunk or doing drugs or we like, we, we have this like list, right? And then we have like hierarchies, like there are these sins that are really bad sins and these sins are like, they're churchy sins. Like it's all right to do those sins, right? And we have these socially acceptable ones and these non-socially acceptable ones, which is what I love about the New Testament when it lists out sins. It puts like dishonoring your mom and dad is the same list as murdering people. I don't know if you paid attention to that. Like, you read not just the Ten Commandments, like in the New Testament, when it's starting to list like all these really bad people, you're like, nay, I'm not those guys. I'm not those guys. And then it's like, but just mean people. And you're like, I've been mean before, right? <laughs> like, you read any of these lists and you'll find yourself, if you're honest. And we have this hierarchy of sin, but when we look at God's word, what we see is sin is just saying, God, I know you had a plan but I'm going to do mine anyway. Or better yet, what we more often than that do is just go on with our plan without even acknowledging God's existence. We just wake up, look at Facebook, check our email, hit the day, go running, do whatever we're going to do. And then at some point in the day, we may go, oh man, I hadn't had my devotional. Just pull up our little devotional app or pull up something and we'll read a couple of verses so we can be like, boom, spent time in God's word, done. Then we just go back to doing things our own way. Listen, that's, that's sin as much as anything else is sin. Sin is simply doing it your way rather than God's way. Repentance, on the other hand, isn't just return, turning away from sin. It's turning away from sin and towards God. Where do we find Joshua here? Having conversation with God. We find Joshua back in conversation with the Lord. See, if we really understood grace, if we really understood gospel, if we really understood how much God loves us, when we sin, we wouldn't be like Adam and Eve and run away. See, sometimes we run away from our sin because the consequences start to sting. That's not repentance. That's self-preservation. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning toward God. This is the difference we see the Israelites make in chapter 8. We often do a half turn. where We fight to resist sin through rules or just white knuckling it in our own willpower. I'm going to beat this sin in my life. And we just try to muster up within us the ability to do that. Victory is not just ceasing to worship and find satisfaction in other idols. It's actively worshiping and finding your satisfaction in the one true God. What sin is, is idolatry. You find your worship, your satisfaction, your joy, your purpose, your fulfillment, your identity in something that's not God. It's not the way God designed it. Repentance is not just turning away from that and stopping to stop worshiping those things. It's to turn and worship God. Look at verse 2. We'll pick up the pace in a minute. We'll start off slow. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Now here's what's significant to me in verse 2. God says, look when you go in, you see something nice and you want it, take it. Now, here's what's crazy about that. 
How foolish does that make Achan look? You go back, and this is exactly what Achan did, but he did it on his, on his own way. See, here, here's, here's where we get tripped up. We think that we are our own providers. We think that we worked hard for that money, and so it's ours. We think that we worked hard, we bought that house, this is our house, and I'll do some stuff for God for it. What you've got to understand is everything you have in your life belongs to the Lord. It's a gift that he gave you. Sure, you worked hard. Who gave you the ability to do that? He did. Who called you to do that? Do you understand that nothing in your life is arbitrary and meaningless? Nothing in your life is pointless. Nothing in your life is... There, there really isn't a division between sacred and secular. We, we try to make this false division like there are sacred things in our lives and there are secular things in our lives. The whole thing belongs to him. And so when you go to work, you go to worship. When you go into your recreational activities, listen, you don't have to Jesus juke everybody. There, there's a way, an authentic and real way to enjoy things in your life in a way that leads you to worship God who gave them to you. I, I'm not saying you can't go have fun. I'm not saying don't go fishing or go play around a golf or go do whatever. Man, do those things. But, but don't, don't think that that's separate from, from the life God's called you to. Right? You, I, you can go enjoy those things in, 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 in real life, worship God for the gifts that he's given you. I, I love, I love, and it's evidence in me, I love to eat. I love food. I, I wanted my whole life to be a chef and own my own restaurant. Ever since I was a little kid, that's what I've wanted. And so for me, food's not just like this thing. And I know like I think about the way that you can combine things and, and textures and seasonings and flavors and, and different ways you can prepare it. And, and it, it really gets me excited. And you know what I really get excited about is that God gave us that. God could have not given us taste buds. He could have just been like, look, you got to eat these leaves and they'll give you protein and they'll give you what you need, the nutrients, and that's how you live. And we wouldn't have known any better. But how gracious is God to give us all these different seasonings and spices and flavors and textures and we can mix it all. Listen, you can genuinely worship in the things that you enjoy when you recognize where they came from. When you recognize why they exist. When you recognize why you exist. See, Achan... Achan made a foolish mistake that we all make. He tried to become his own provider. I don't know what was in Achan's mind. I, I don't know everything that motivated him when he did this. I can make conjecture, but it'd just be conjecture. But, but I, know, I know this. I know he saw something that he felt he needed in his life, and he assumed the only way to get that thing into his life was for him, on his own accord, in his own plan, to take it. If he just would have waited for God's timing, he could have, without guilt, with full freedom, gone into AI and taken whatever he wanted. 
we, we get nervous. We get freaked out. Bank account's not what we want it to be. Circumstances in our life aren't what we want them to be. Here, here's, here's one way I see it a lot. Don't get mad at me. Young ladies, I see that you're single and you want somebody. Young men, you see that you're single and you want somebody and you want to get married. And so instead of waiting for who God has for you, I see over and over people just make dumb choices. If I can just be honest. You know, they just take some guy or some girl that, I mean, they like me. It's convenient. They're willing to marry me. They think I'm awesome. Here's my question. Is that person bringing you closer to the Lord or further away? When I, when I met my wife, I, I, I'll admit, I was enamored by her beauty the second I met her, legitimately. True, true story. I met her, and I just knew something was up. I like this girl. But I want to tell you when I really knew that she was the person I was supposed to marry. I was not close to the Lord. I was far from God. I was a brand new Christian without any discipleship, without any church family, kind of on my own. So I had become a baby, brand new baby, and I had not grown much. I don't even know if I was crawling spiritually. But there was something about spending time with her that made me fall more in love with Jesus. And I remember having this thought. She's a lot of fun to hang out with. She's beautiful. She's smart, she's funny, she's creative, and she makes me love Jesus more. I don't care what your list was before that. That's the best list there ever was. Amen. And I just realized, this is it. This is it. I've arrived. Like, no more searching, right? And the key thing for me was, like, she made me enjoy Jesus. And she didn't beat me over the head with the Bible. She, didn't, she was not like overbearing to me. It was just something about being around her that made me want to love. And to this day, spending time with her makes me love Jesus more. That's it. That's, that's the whole shebang. Listen, that's not just a romantic marriage thing. That's, that's ev- whatever you do for work, whatever you do for recreation, whatever you spend your time doing, whatever you spend your resources doing, that's how you define the win. Is this bringing me closer to God? Is this James 4, 8 helping me draw near to God so he can draw near to me because the best thing for your life is proximity with the God of the universe? If Achan just would have waited... If he wouldn't have defined provision on his own terms, if he just would have trusted that God would provide. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I love the way that God talks to his people there. He goes, look, man, don't worry about these things. This is the Jimbo paraphrase. You can go read on your own, Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry about these things. He goes, do you think I don't know you need these things? Do you think God is sitting here waiting on a list from you? going, man, if I don't come up with something, they're not going to eat. God, God's aware of those things. And what he's telling you is better than food, better than rent, better than your cell phone bill, better than any of those things. If you'll first pursue me, if you'll first pursue God, if you'll first pursue his righteousness, if you'll first pursue his kingdom, if you'll first pursue your relationship with God, then let him lead you in all the other stuff. He may not give you everything you want, but he'll do more 
than just give you what you need. He'll, he'll, give you, he'll give you what you actually need and you don't even realize it. You got to trust that he's smarter than you, right? Continue in the story. Verses 13, 3 through 17. We see better together, stronger together. Look at verses 3 through 9 first. It says, So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, the first time they had gone out, they sent 3,000 men and, and they came out against them and, and destroyed them. And so they said, we're going to do it just like that. We're going to play the same story all over again. And they're going to come out against us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they'll say they're fleeing from us just like they did before. So we will flee before them. And then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city for the Lord your God and will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai. And Joshua spent the night among the people. Now that last line, and Joshua spent the night among the people, struck me. It reminded me of the story of David and Bathsheba. The story of David and Bathsheba, we think that David's big mistake is what he did with Bathsheba. I, I think the first big mistake is he was at home when he was supposed to be out fighting with his soldiers. See, the first time when they sent 3,000 soldiers to Ai, Joshua wasn't one of the scouts. He wasn't one of the 3,000 he sent scouts, got word. Scouts came back, and then he sent 3,000 men, and they got beaten. But this time, Joshua was amongst the people. Joshua knew that he needed to be with them. Throughout the last two chapters, there's this clear emphasis on the unity of God's people. The sin of one man, Achan, brought trouble on the entire community. Achan's sin brought demise and trouble amongst all of God's people. There was a unity there. Joshua is told that Achan sins. Not, Joshua's not told that Achan sinned, but that Israel had sinned. Again, emphasizing the importance of community. Once Achan is identified through casting a lot, Joshua is called to lead the entire family as expected to deal with their family business at that moment. The whole family of God has to deal with what Achan chose to do. So Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and they brought him to the valley of Achor in chapter 6. And they stoned him with stones. They burned him. They raised over him a heap of stones. Here in chapter 7, Joshua and all the fighting men. Or in chapter 7, Joshua and all the fighting men arose. Joshua spent the night amongst the people here in chapter 8. Joshua realized we're better together, stronger together, but we're also weaker together. We're, we're in this together, whether we want to admit that or not. This is what you've got to realize, family of God. We are in this together, 
whether we want to admit that or not. No one gets to walk this alone. There's a popular idea now about, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. I don't need to go to church in order to have a relationship with Jesus. I think if you had an honest conversation with Jesus, he would tell you otherwise. This is not about me trying to boost church attendance or anything like that. Please don't get this twisted and think this is some sort of self-serving statement. I'm telling you, theologically, when you study the scriptures, it says do not forsake the assembling together. There's constantly this idea of together. It says that when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. It says the whole law could be summed up in this one idea that we're to love one another, especially those who are in the household of faith. So this idea of like, a disconnected Christianity that so many experience is not what the Bible calls us to. Flat out. We are in this together whether you want to admit it or not. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. We are better together. We're stronger together. We're in this together. Let's keep going. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel. They take the lead before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and sent them in an ambush between uh, Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. I really just have one point there on that passage, then I want to move on. Um, it's fascinating to me. So if you fast forward and go into the book of Judges, to the famous story of Gideon, uh, shameless plug, our ladies have been studying that on Wednesday nights. You can jump in with them. Story of Gideon. God reduces the army just so that God can show how powerful he is, right? Well, all right, so think back. So contrast that to this story where Joshua, in his arrogance, reduces the army. The last time they tried to fight Ai, so this time God says, now you got to send everybody. Again, sin is about doing things our way. And God will find, God will find ways in your life to point that out. And he'll call you to do against what you wanted to do or against what you think makes sense, just because he's going to show himself as the one in charge. Now, why does he do that? Because he's just this arrogant, self-centered God? No, because he knows he's the best thing for you. He's aware of the fact. He created you for the purpose of being in proximity to him in worship, to glorify him with your life and enjoy him in your life to find your joy in him. And so he's always going to do whatever he can to bring you back to that. Sometimes when he does that, it's going to be painful. But it doesn't have to be. If we'll just do it his way, we'll still have difficulty in our life, but we'll have him with us. And we'll have victory in the things that matter. We won't have victory in everything. 
People who love Jesus deeply will still die of cancer. People who love Jesus deeply will still experience great tragedy in their lives. People who love Jesus will still experience poverty. People who love Jesus will still experience things that are evidence more of the brokenness of this world than anything else. But they'll have victory in the things that matter. This is what matters, is when we have victory where God wants us to have victory in our lives. Look at verses 18 through 28. The instruction of God's word and the obedience of God's people. I'm not going to read this whole passage. I'm going to summarize it for sake of time. Hebrew writing likes to repeat a lot of things, but this is where the Lord tells Joshua to stretch out his javelin that is in his hand towards Ai. This is similar to the battle that Moses had, right? He had to hold up the staff, and Aaron had to help him hold up his arms, and as long as he held it up, they had victory. And it's again this idea that not that Moses was powerful, not that that staff was magical, but that it was God's instruction and his obedience. Where, where we don't lack is in God's instructions. We've got them. Now, this may not specifically tell you which job to take, which person to marry, which college to go to, which house to buy. But this will give you principles by which you can draw near to God and be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then the Bible says, if you'll do that, you'll be able to discern and test what is the perfect will of God. So does this tell you who to marry? Not directly. But it tells you how to fall so in love with Jesus that you won't fall in love with an idiot. Right? This tells you how to fall so in love with Jesus that you won't, you won't go things in your own way. It tells you how to fall so in love with Jesus that it transforms you into a new person. So the instructions are there. The only missing piece is our obedience. It's God's instruction and our obedience. I say that because I think sometimes we want to treat God like a, like a genie or a magician. And so we need something from God, and we've been distant from him for a really long time. And but all of a sudden we decide, okay, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church this Sunday, and, and then God's going to give me what I want. God's instructions plus your obedience leads to victory in all the things that really matter. The trap is set. Joshua proceeds to coax the warriors of Ai to the battlefield. Pretending to be beaten, Joshua flees to the wilderness, resulting in all the fighting men out of Ai and even Bethel coming out. And Unlike fortified and closed up Jericho, remember when Jericho found out they were coming, they shut everything down, locked down. Nobody's going in or out. Unlike that, in contrast, we see Ai left open and vulnerable because the men disregard their primary duty. You have to remember, and it's, it's really important when we read these passages to remember who these people are. The people that God is calling them to destroy are not innocent bystanders. These are people who are an object of God's wrath, but have sat under his patience for over 400 years. God warned Abraham about these people over 400 years before this happened. It's hard to read a story like this and understand that they killed everybody. He's holding up his javelin and all these people are dying, but understand they, 
they have been doing things their own way the whole time in, in wicked, wicked ways. And like, like them, we often, I want to talk to men's husbands, fathers here for a minute. In our pride, we leave our primary duty as the shepherd of our home. And therefore, we leave our homes vulnerable and open like the city of Ai. You have an opportunity, husband, father, to be the shepherd, the under-shepherd in your home, to lead and guide your family, to intercede for them. That, don't miss that and leave your gates wide open. So when the men of Ai see smoke coming from their homes, they run home only to be struck down by the ambush. At this point, other than the king, no one survives. You may have read in the news here recently in Sri Lanka, at least 359 Christians were killed last Sunday, on Easter Sunday. You read that story, I won't go into the details, it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. And so you read that and you read this and I think it's okay to ask an honest question, so what's the difference? What's the difference here in Joshua taking out all the people of AI and what happened in Sri Lanka? Other than we serve different gods and we'll say our God's real and he is and their God's false and he is. But they would claim the same thing, right? They would claim, or our God's real and your God's false. The difference is that the curse on us has been paid and we don't have to fight for ourselves anymore. Continue to read the story. Look at verse 29. I want to close with some ideas about that. They took the king of Ai and hung him on a tree until evening. At sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body from the tree and threw it to the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day at the time of the writing of this. This narrative ends with the difference. There's an execution of a king here. It's God had commanded in Deuteronomy how to deal with criminals like this king. Remember, this is not a good guy. It's not an innocent bystander. It's a wicked, wicked, wicked city. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23 says that if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance by leaving this cursed man. So Joshua commands that they follow God's law to the letter. This seemingly barbaric act is a demonstration of God's judgment on all of sin and rebellion, just as it has been with his own people, with Achan. Without question, this hanging is gruesome. 
But the stark image should not cause us to feel empathy as much as fear. Fear God and flee from the rebellion that has necessitated it. There are two ways we'll look at this story in Joshua. We'll either see it as this horrific thing and a passage that critics against Christianity would love for us to bring up to show us how, how mean our God is, how heartless he is, how unloving he is. But they're missing one key piece of theology that we all have to understand for the gospel to be really true and to really make sense that we deserve it. It would be perfectly right and just for God to send all of humanity to hell for eternity. But, but, one of the greatest things we see in Scripture, but God demonstrates, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. See, Paul later writes that Jesus becomes this curse that's talked about in Deuteronomy. Jesus becomes this curse. He takes it from us. This is not a popular idea, but we must understand that it's not our job to defend ourselves. I hear a lot this idea on the news of we're getting attacked as Christians and we need to defend ourselves. I don't know that the Bible says to defend ourselves. We should not be surprised, Peter says, by the fiery trials that this world gives us. We should count it as joy, James says, when tribulations come our way. Now, we should mourn what happened in Sri Lanka. We should mourn deeply that our brothers and sisters in Christ had this unspeakable act happen to them. We should also mourn the ones that committed suicide to make that happen that will now spend eternity in hell. Do they deserve it? Yeah. But so do the Christians in Sri Lanka deserve hell. The difference is who hangs on the tree. We can hang on our own tree and try to pay for our own sin and you'll, you'll spend all of eternity separated from God as an object of his wrath. Or we can recognize that in God's great love, in God's just unfathomable love and grace and mercy, he took that on for us. And victory is found in him and in him alone. The truth is that all of us are condemned by the law of God in the same way. I've sinned, you've sinned. The Bible says the penalty for sin is death. No matter how much good you've done in your life, you are still guilty by nature and by choice. By nature and by choice. You are a lawbreaker. The law of God justly condemns our rebellion. But instead of you being hung on a tree, there was another king, not the king of Ai, a perfect, sinless king who hung on a tree that you might be forgiven. The law condemns me as a sinner and you. Sinners are not saved because we are able to do right and wrong, good and bad. Sinners are not saved because we never stole from God like Achan. Sinners are not accepted because we have the perfect battle plan. 
or when we die, we have more victories over sin than we do defeats. It's not a tally. Nothing you do will measure up. Sinners are not saved because of anything good in themselves. Sinners are saved by putting their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did right. How he glorified God and the victory he had for us on the cross. I am saved because my perfect law-abiding king hung on a tree for me. A lawbreaker. Unlike the king of Ai, our king was also buried under a stone but it was a monument that only lasted three days. At the time of the writing of this book of Joshua, the monument to the king of Ai's death was still there. Our kings only stayed three days. On the third day, he rose again, and in doing that, he proved that he had conquered all of sin and all of death, that he had power, authority, and willingness to give me a new life. In him, I have strength. In him, I find victory. In him, whether I win or lose on the things that matter to me, I win on all the things that really matter. In him, in the king that died on a tree, that became a curse, but the monument only lasted three days, you too can have victory in your life. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we close this passage, and I pray that your, your will has been made clear. Lord, if there's sin in our lives and our hearts that needs to be confessed, that you would give us the boldness to do that. And not wait till we're called out like Achan. Let us not run and hide from you like Adam and Eve, but let us run to you. Let us, in true repentance, turn from our sin and toward you. Let us put our faith in you. Lord, use this church to make much of your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.